Good morning, church. It's a pleasure to be with you. I f- first want to be able to uh, speak to our students and our children and say uh, congratulations. You made it. Uh, for the majority of you, summer is here. You survived. To all the parents, I'm praying for you. Um, <laughs> summer's a fun and unique season, but it also can be challenging. Um, a joke, kind of tongue-in-cheek, but, but it is. It's a transition, and it's a change, and, and we are praying that, that uh, you'd be able to enjoy summer, be able to connect with your family in a unique way if you have children, uh, or if you are a child that's grown and you're able to connect with your family throughout this, through this season, uh, praying for that as well, but also praying for grace, God's grace in your lives as you adjust to new schedules. Um, my name is Jordan. I'm one of the associate pastors here at the church, um, and I oversee our children, or not children, that would be weird. Um, I oversee our youth ministry uh, and parents, um, and it's, it is a pleasure and a, it's a joy of mine. And also from time to time, I have a privilege to be able to, to bring God's word to us on Sunday morning. And so um, it's a joy of mine to be able to do that as well, because it just gives Matt a season to be able to get his eyes up a little bit. Uh, what I mean by that is um, he focuses so much much of his week on prepping and planning for sermons as well as service planning uh, and the the pastoral counseling stuff that he does um, in addition to uh, these weeks whenever I'm able to come on and and preach. He's able to get his eyes up vision-wise and just say, where are we going as a church to be able to to plan for the future? And so it's a joy of mine to be able to uh, allow him to do that, but also it's a joy to be able to be in front of you all. And so thank you for allowing me the privilege to be able to preach from time to time. This summer, we are in a series called The Names of God. Um, It is uh, a really creative title for where we are because uh, we're just simply preaching through some names of God. Uh, I think we're walking through something like 11 names this summer, uh, and it it really is a a unique thing for us and a very uh, cool thing for us. As we talk through each name that God has given us about himself, we're answering four questions. The first question we're we're answering is, what does that name mean? Secondly, we're, we're answering, what does that name tell us about the nature of God? Thirdly, what does that speak to us? What is God doing in giving us that name? Like, how does it benefit us, and where should we grow in knowing this name of God? And lastly, we're ending by looking at the gospel and saying, what does this name say about Jesus? And so all of the names we're going through um, simply walk through this this easily-to-flow train of thought, and so we're going to continue that train of thought this morning as well. And so... What we see in Scripture is that names are a very big deal. People's given names throughout Scripture, majority of the time, have a meaning for what season of life people are walking through or what they're experiencing at that time. Uh, God also gives uh, names to himself, uh, which describe his nature and also describe his attributes Um, Our problem is today is that um, names don't really mean a big deal to us in the West. Uh, If you're privileged to have children um, and you have, you went to that season of trying to tell what, uh, or trying to to name your your kid, majority of the time we're looking at a family name, like how can this have a special meaning for for my family? Uh, Or we just go um, away from the popular list and we just want to find something that's not so popular but also sounds really cool right? Um, and, and also, we, we try to find names that we can creatively put a Y in every now and then. Um, and so, uh, 
I'm going to lose a couple families here. I, I know this risk, but <laughs> Jordan is never spelled with a Y. Don't ever put a Y in it. And mainly it's just because it's a personal thing for me because people put Ys in my names and ask, how do you spell your name? I'm like, sound it out. It's pretty easy. J-O-R-D-A-N, right? No, no. You can throw Ys in there and make it feminine. And it, it just, it confuses me. So uh, that's just my personal take on it all. Um, but here in the United States, the way that we do names isn't wrong um, at all. It's actually, it's kind of cool and, and we have our own way of doing it. But the other side of that coin is, this, is when we read things like, the scripture that God has given us, we blow over the names that God has given us intentionally, and we just read them as names, like we would talk about them here in the, in the U.S., but when God is doing something so much greater. Uh, this series is all about slowing down and listening to God and saying, God, what are you saying about yourself? Two weeks ago, we started this series, and Matt introduced, our lead pastor, he introduced um, Yahweh, uh, which is simply when you open your scriptures in the Old Testament and you see the capital L-O-R-D, that is God's given name, Yahweh, simply meaning I am. And we went all the way back to the burning bush when Moses was interacting with God in the burning bush, and that's where we see God's given name. So much good was said about that name, Yahweh, and something that was so special about that name, we needed to start at that place for us to have a great foundation moving forward. Then last week, uh, Matt also introduced uh, the word Adonai, uh, which is simply translated Lord in the capital L, then lowercase o-r-d. When you see that in the Old Testament, that is the word Adonai, uh, which simply just means master. And again, spent a lot of time unpacking that and seeing the intent behind that. And uh, if you missed those sermons, you can go on our podcast and be able to, to hear those, um, which I encourage you to do because each one of these is really unique and special. Today, we're going to be talking about the name Elohim. Simply, when we see the, name, or the word uh, Elohim in Hebrew, in Scripture, it's translated God. G-O-D. God. A name that we use extremely frequently of Him. This morning, we sang many, many songs, and I intentionally was watching in the words, and, and we sang to God. We sang about God. That is the word that, uh, that is used probably most in our language. In Scripture, it is the second most used name of God. I think 2,500 times in the, the Hebrew text, we see the word Elohim pop up. God says a lot to us about this name. I love how Matt, um, our lead pastor, takes the first two names, the easy names, Yahweh, you know, simply L-O-R-D, just look at it, it's there, right? Uh, Adonai, L-O-R-D, the other way, look at it, right? It's simple, it's easy. He makes this look so simple. I start my study with Elohim, and then uh, what we understand is it, yes, it means God, capital G, but you know what? Elohim is also used to talk about lowercase g, God's. So I'm like, oh my gosh, all right, here we go. So I start unpacking a little bit, and then I do some more study and uh, figure out that the, um, the ending, the I am ending that's on this word, um, makes it plural. And so not only is God giving us a name about himself, he's giving us a plural name about himself, and then uh, he tells us that it's also used for um, the gods that we don't serve. So I'm just digging, I'm like, how in the world am I going to preach this sermon? But uh, pray for me. Here we go. We'll, we'll keep moving forward. Um, now we're going to find ourselves in Genesis chapter 1 as well as Deuteronomy 10 and ending in Romans chapter 2. Those are the places we're going to be today, jumping around. So if you want to find your place there, feel free to, um, to go there. 
as you're finding these places in your Bibles, I want to just make a comment that the jokes I made about the complexity of this word, uh, it, it's true, but just because something is complex doesn't mean that we can't understand what's going on in Scripture. And so it is my, my hope that we are able to, to wrap our minds around uh, what God is doing here. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I've done a lot of study, and I feel like I have a good grasp of what's going on. And what I've learned is that, man, we could talk for hours about what the, the meaning of this word is uh, for your time, and we're not going to do that. We're going to focus in on a short amount of time and focus on the root of what Elohim really means, which I feel and I am convinced is the core of what God is trying to communicate to us by using this word for himself. So let's just start right off the bat and ask the question, what does this name mean? I've already said it. Elohim means capital G, God, as well as lowercase g, gods. At time throughout scripture, if you were to dig into the Hebrew text, you would see that um, there, um, the, the word Elohim is shortened to El. Maybe you've heard the word El Shaddai, which just means God Almighty, or you've heard the word uh, El Elyon, sorry, El Elyon, which means God Most High, or El Roy, which means God who sees. And so all throughout scripture, these are all versions of Elohim, God pointing to himself. But again, the, the understanding of Elohim is a little complex, but for just argument's sake today, let's wrap our minds around the big case G as well as potentially the lowercase G uh, in the plural form as we just move forward today. Um, again, first glance may seem confusing or even potentially uh, contradictive, but it's not. I want to, um, what I really want to explain is the intention behind God using this word and why it's a big deal for God. So what does this name mean about the nature of God? Let's just start with the understanding that it means strength, it means power, it means divinity. Let's start in Genesis 1, verse 1, and just see the first time this word Elohim is used, and I believe is significant throughout this entire chapter. Genesis 1, verse 1, the very first verse in all of the Bible, as I'm littering the stage, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit of Elohim was hovering over the face of the waters. Skip to verse 3, and Elohim said, verse 6, and Elohim said, and verse 9, and Elohim said, and verse 11, and Elohim said, verse 14, and Elohim said. So you see this pattern that, that God is speaking, God is saying something to the creation as it is creating. With his voice and his power and his strength, he created everything that exists. Let's look at this historically for a moment. God has always existed from the beginning of time. What I love about scripture, what I love about the Bible is it unpacks who God is. It tells us his grand narrative, which we talk of often here at Harvest, and it puts us in his grand narrative. We get to know who God is because of scripture. What we don't see 
clearly or obviously, maybe I should say, is how the other nations are defining God. He speaks of this. He is not silent about this, but it's not as direct as the grand narrative he is teaching. But what we do know is that beyond Israel, the nation of Israel, which centers on the, um, which, who centers in Scripture, is that people have an understanding of God or God's, correct? We're only given 11 chapters in the entire Bible, Genesis 1 through 11. That's all we get as a glimpse of how history unfolded and how, hi how history was put into play. Once we get to Genesis 12, we see Abraham's call, the birth of the nation of Israel, and then we follow Israel all the way to the end of the Old Testament. And even into the New Testament, we center on Christ right at the beginning of the New Testament. And the rest of the New Testament is the birth of the church centering on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But there are so many nations all over the world who worship God or gods. Again, God speaks to the na these nations. God identifies the gods that these guys serve around them. And I love how clearly and plainly in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, he tells us that, that he can be known, God can be known to all people through creation. Simply, if people just stop, pause, and look at creation around them, creation screams God's name. This is what we call general revelation. You look at the mountains that were created and you're like, that wasn't there on accident. You watch the rivers flow, that wasn't there on accident. You look at the stars in the heaven, the same response, that wasn't there on accident. You get the miracle of life and the complexity of what happens with that, life doesn't happen on accident. We get in our day and age, our scientific day and age, and you start understanding the working of the brain, Oh my gosh, that does not happen by accident. There is something pointing to something so much greater than me out there. And all of written history has proven that the nations have done this. We get East Asia, right? And we see their formation of who God is. Just looking to the stars and the heavens and saying something greater is out there. We get to South Asia, the same thing. We get to the Middle East, the same thing. We get to Egypt, the same thing. We get to Greece, the same thing. We get to the Native Americans, the same thing. We get to the Eskimos, the same thing. We get to the Aztecs, the same thing. And we go on and on and on and look at how people have tried to define God from the beginning of any kind of written history. Every non-believer, non-Jesus follower out there can look at that and be like, something unique is going on out there. A little side note, did you realize that the um, popularity of atheism is a really relatively new idea. You can find traces of it all throughout history of people who were saying that, no, there is no God. But it wasn't really until the 1800s with Karl Marx and Friedrich Nietzsche, whenever they came out, that this whole idea that no God exists really started becoming really popular. So through all written history, 3,500 years, 5,000 years, whatever that written history is, God was at the center of it, and we looked to define him in all different ways. And this is where the Bible is crucial. Genesis 1.1, in which we just read, identifies Elohim as the creator of everything. God created every bit of it. 
what I think is extremely unique with this is that if you were to hand this idea to uh, a group of Eskimos or to the Aztecs and you were to tell them that God created everything, they would look at this text, Genesis 1-1, and they would say, yeah, he did, or yeah, they did. This would not be controversial to almost anyone in history. God is saying, God is identifying himself in scripture from the very beginning of time that yes, I am this God that you have been looking for for so many years and centuries and centuries. Flip the Bible over to Genesis chapter two and this is where things get really interesting. Genesis chapter two, verse four, God rarely talks about himself as just Elohim. Verse 4, there are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, and in that day the Lord God made earth and heavens. Who made earth and heavens? Yahweh Elohim made the earth and the heavens. This is where things get controversial because Yahweh Elohim is so much different than other people's understanding of what God is or the gods are or how creation came into play. Now we're talking specifically about the God of Scripture. From Genesis 2-4 on, we rarely see Elohim by itself. It is Yahweh Elohim or the like. Man, this gives me chills because God knew exactly what he was doing by starting off this book we hold in our hands and finishing it powerfully with us understanding who he is. Yahweh Elohim writes his story and he invites you into his story and he invites me into his story. What God is saying throughout all of scripture is I am the one and only God. He says, I am the God that always was and always is and always will be. I am the God who created everything. I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. I am the God who allowed sin into the world. I am the God who has provided redemption. I am Yahweh Elohim. That's right. This is the story of the nations. This is the story for you. This is the story for me. This is the importance of Scripture and understanding exactly who God is. So if God is the God of the Bible and God of all history, what does this mean for us? And I want to spend some time uh, looking at Deuteronomy chapter 10. What we must see about God is what he is saying is that, yes, the creator who you see as creator is out there, but that creator can be known, and I am him, and I want to be known all throughout Scripture. I continue to reveal myself. It has been through seasons of doubt in my own life when I ask, what if Christianity has it all wrong and Jesus isn't the only way to God. It is in those seasons when I, start, I started pursuing the idea of other world religions out there. I could never wrap my mind around that there was no God, but I doubted the faith I grew up in. 
I think it's a natural place to be when you're transitioning out of adolescence and into your adult life, right? To start wondering, is this real? Is this true? I looked at Islam. I looked at Mormonism. I looked at all these other world religions out there, and I studied them, and I, and I came back to the idea that, man, only God can be known through Scripture. In this book that we hold in our hands, there are four, over 40 authors who wrote this book, over 3,500, or sorry, over 15, 1,700 years, this book was written. And it has stood the test of time, and it has not changed from the very beginning of when it was written to today, to the Bible that we hold in our hands. God has given us a glimpse into the fact that this book has stood the test of time. When I look at these other religions, they've all focused on one person, whether it be Muhammad or whether it be Joseph Smith or whether it be the people behind Watchtower who create the Jehovah's Witness Bible and change this in our hands. It all focuses on an individual. I come back to this Bible, 40 people over 1,700 years writing all at different places in time, all communicating the same thing. There's one author of scripture and that is God and God himself. And he speaks to us and he says, if I am that God. Here is what I'm calling you to. He calls us, and we look at Deuteronomy 10, starting in verse 12. Let's just look at verse 12 and verse 13. He says, And now, Israel, what does Yahweh, your Elohim, require of you? If you follow me, if you surrender your life to me, if you uh, submit to me, here's what I require of you, but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve him, the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. If you're someone who likes to write in your Bible, which I'm giving you permission to do, uh, I do frequently, um, put a box around fear, walk, love, serve, keep. These are important things God's um, giving us. When I first read this, um, I, I remembered the time uh, whenever I was a kid and my mom grounded me. And whenever I was grounded as a kid, I lost every privilege that I ever gained. I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't hang out with my friends. I couldn't talk on the phone. We didn't have texting and no cell phones. And so I couldn't like, you know, take the cable that's like 17 feet long into the next room that's attached to the wall. You know, I couldn't do those types of things. I pretty much had to sit in my room in silence. And whenever I did that, it pretty much was bored. So my mom's like, you're bored? I'll give you something to do. All right, how about you do the dishes? How about you do your laundry and do mine and fold it? Um, and then, um, <laughs> sorry, that was inappropriate. Um, and, uh, <laughs> oh gosh, I'm gonna get in trouble for that. Um, do the dishes, mow the lawn, pull the weeds, right? And you're looking at mom, you're like, gosh, how in the world can I finish that today, right? And by the time that uh, she was done speaking, I'm like, is that everything? I would never speak to my mom that way, but that's what's going on in my head. Is that everything, you know? And you kind of get the look and she knows, and all of a sudden she says, no, that's not everything. How about you wash my car too? And you're like, oh, life, what is life, you know? And then you're kind of stuck. Whenever I read this, I felt like this was a list, and I'm like, oh my gosh, how in the world can I keep up with these things? How in the world can I do these? It's really exhausting, uh, and just thought of saying, how can I live this out, God? You're saying you require this of me? How in the world can you expect this from me? To fear you, to walk in your ways, to love you, to serve you, and to keep your commandments. Because it's for my good? Oh my gosh. It's overwhelming. 
I kind of think that's the intention that God is aiming for here. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, what we're seeing is Moses is preparing the nation of Israel who's wandering in the desert, preparing them to go into the promised land. All of the generation before this, who Moses is speaking to, they have died off because they've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of disobedience. They're now about to walk into the promised land, and Moses is reminding them of where they have been historically, and he is telling them, prepare your hearts to fully trust God. So, first thing that we see, God can be known, and what does he tell us? What does he call us to do? He calls us to respond to him in these ways, to fear, to walk, to love, to serve, to keep. We could spend so much time on each one of those. We don't have time, nor is this the space to do this. But simply, when we want, if we simply want to think about fear, we think about respect, reverence, awe. When we talk about walking with God, we talk about trusting him. When we talk about loving God, we talk about a commitment that we have with one another, a, a, a commitment of love to each other. When we talk about serving, it is selflessness. It is me not saying, it's me saying, it's not what I want, God, but it's what you want. Walking in obedience, that's keeping. Those verses that are on there, uh, you can write those down. We're not going to read those, but you can read those on your own time to see how people all throughout Scripture have lived this out as an example for us. What does he call us to? Walk. Sorry, fear. Walk. Love. Serve. Keep. Exhaustive list for us. But those are the ways we must respond to him if he is our Elohim. Yahweh Elohim. Secondly, as we keep reading, we see him in his rightful place. Look at verse 14. Behold, Behold, to the Yahweh, uh, your Elohim, belongs heaven and the heavens of heaven, and the earth and all that is in it. Stop there just for a second. Who is this Yahweh Elohim? Again, he's pointing to himself as the creator of everything. As the creator of everything, we get verse 15. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offsprings after them. You above all peoples, as you are his to this day. Oh my gosh. So much to understand that God is creating everything. God is making himself known and God is calling you into his story and saying, I am choosing you in the midst of not being perfect to be a part of my story. Seeing him in his rightful place, continuing on, we see him in Deuteronomy uh, as preparing our hearts to continue to walk and to trust and to serve and so on and so on. Verse 16, he says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. That is a very New Testament idea, a very Pauline idea. So it's very ironic here that 
Um, Moses is mentioning it in Deuteronomy. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Remembering back to how stubborn, stubborn their forefathers were of who the people Moses is speaking to. They did not trust. They did not follow. They always doubted God, and it led them to die in the desert. And he's reminding them, don't be stubborn any longer. Verse 17, for the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords and great the mighty and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widows and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. To us, he says, verse 19, love the sojourner. Therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. God is inviting us into this story. He is almighty. He is everything to be feared, which, yes, is a reverent fear, but also I think there should be an awe and a fear and trembling when we become in his presence, when we realize who he is. But he says, that's not where you need to stay. That's just how you worship me. I am entering into your story, and you get to walk with me as I walk with you. Oh, my gosh, what a beautiful understanding. Then his call to us in verse 20 and 21. So you shall fear the Lord your God, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him by his name. You shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God. Our call is if God is creator, is mighty, is strong, if he is the deity, as he says he is, this is our response because of who he is in our lives. How does this point to Jesus? If God is able to create everything from nothing, going back to Genesis 1-1, there was nothing except God, nothing. And with his words, he speaks into existence everything. What is he not capable of? When living within his own nature, what is he not capable of? There's always these ideas. Can God build a rock so big that he can't lift it? Let's not go there. I got a lot of thoughts. God's nature pushes him to glorify and magnify himself and himself alone. If that is the God that we understand and we serve and who is personally invested into our lives, that God is able to have his son enter into this earth and have his son live a perfect life and lead his son to die on a cross. And if this God is God of all creation, that God has the ability to raise his son from the dead to provide redemption for all people. Yes, you and me included with all the junk we bring before God, yes, he's able to redeem us. If he is creator of it all, he can walk with us closely and intimately despite our sin nature. 
if God can raise Jesus from the dead, God is also able to walk with you and me as we pursue him in the midst of our continual screw-ups. He wants us to run to, not from. One of my favorite places in scripture um, is Romans 1, 2, and 3. Uh, I've talked about it before, but I love what the Apostle Paul is doing in the book of Romans. So, Paul is writing to Rome, and he starts off all of chapter 1 as he's pointing to the Gentiles, to all those who are not Israel, and he says to them, you are sinful people. This is how you are sinful. You are so far away from God. That's who you are. And naturally, as Paul is writing to the church, all the Jews are like, yeah, look at those guys. They are sinful people. And then he turns the ties to Romans chapter 2, and he talks specifically to the Jewish people, and he says, you are no different. You have known Yahweh Elohim for your entire existence as a nation. And you have no excuse. You continue to push him aside. Though you may think that you know a Yahweh Elohim, you do not know him, is what Paul is saying in really harsh language. And we see in Romans chapter 2, the same words that we see in Deuteronomy. Uh, He says to them in verse 25, uh, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Just because you mutilate your body doesn't make you a, a beautiful follower of Yahweh Elohim. That's a sign, but it doesn't make you anything. And he continues, look at verse 28, skip down. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. You get what's going on there? Nor is circumcision outwardly um, and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart. By what? The Spirit of God, not by the letter. His praise is not from man but from God. That is what a follower of Yahweh Elohim looks like inwardly, not outwardly. We close this section in chapter 3, which I think I love this passage because 1, 2, and 3 are a collection of ideas that lead to 321 that God says in chapter 3, verse 21 of Romans, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Let's just stop there and put layman's terms to what he is saying. The law and the prophets bear witness to what I'm about to say. All of history has been pointing to this very moment, this this climax in all of history centering on Jesus. All the law and prophets have been declaring the name of Jesus, though they did not know it. They've just been declaring the name of the Messiah, and Jesus is this Messiah. All of the Old, Old Testament points to what we're about to get to. Verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who have believed. That's what the Old Testament has been pointing to. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's where we enter into the story because there is no one who doesn't escape that verse. Every single one of us are in that verse. Then we see verse 24. And if you fall short of God's glory, and if you follow 
Christ through faith, verse 24, and we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justified by his grace as a gift. Speaking of fear, walk, love, serve, obey, there are days that I fail at at least one of those, if not all of those. I will disrespect the authority of God and I will choose me. As I walk and strive to follow Jesus, I will fall down. When Peter walked on water, that dude got out of the boat. We focus on the fact that he sank, but he actually got out of the boat. There are days that I won't even step outside that boat in my selfish fear. In love, oh man, my actions are hate at times, though I will never use those words out loud because that just makes my heart hurt, but my actions reflect not love, but the opposite of. And oh man, serving, do I love myself more than I love serving God and loving other people, serving other people. When obedience, do I need to get into that one? Man, I fail. The list, the impossible list that God gives us to do in response to being his child, I fail at every single one of them, but that's where the gospel is beautiful. That's where him as creator God set it all up to end right here at this point of a large section of the story. This, it all points to Jesus. You were never intended to do it on your own. God says, I am Lord over all of it. I am God over all of it. I created and I am strong and I am mighty. And if I can raise my son from the dead and if I can create everything out of nothing, I want to be your God as well. I'm gonna raise you from the dead every single day through the choices that you make. Honor him with your choices as you surrender your life to him. My encouragement to us as we wrap up, we see those five things in Deuteronomy, fear, walk, love, serve, keep. What is one of those that you struggle with or you've struggled with recently? My challenge to you, my challenge to myself is to pray through that one. Don't be overwhelmed by the exhaustive list. Focus on one. If you have um, uh, struggle with loving people around you. Pray to the end that God would give you his love and allow you, to others, allow you to love others around you. If obedience is your deal, pray that God would give you the heart to obey him and not choose yourself over him. If it is uh, the fact that you have not been in awe of God for a very long time, pray that God would give you the desire to be in his word and see him for who he is and be in awe of who he is. You see the examples I'm giving? Choose one and just pray to that end that God would give you victory this week and that he would reveal himself to you. I close our time this morning by leading us to the table that's up front. Communion. Communion is for followers of Jesus to come up to the table and unite us as individuals. We individually follow Jesus, and we also have our own individual ideas of how life should be lived. But when it comes to the gospel, and that is the thing that unites us as people and makes us family. So whether you're a guest or if you're a regular part of our church, communion uh, is for us as followers of Jesus. We come to the table where we remember who Christ is and what his sacrifice was for us. And we take time continuing to confess, as we've done earlier, the sins that we have so, that are so close to us and relying on God being God, being 
Yahweh Elohim. There's bread and there's juice up front. And we encourage you to come up, take the bread, pick it up, dip it in the juice. You may at that point take communion on your own up here at the table, or you can walk it back to your seat. You can pray together as a family if you like to do that. There's lots of creative ways to be able to do this in response to the gospel. But as we've done before in the past, if, uh, to help us with traffic, we make these center aisles. The, uh, this one uh, coming down, and the outside aisles are coming down to the table tables up front. And then these two aisles help us get back to our seats. That would be awesome. There are tables in the back that go back that way. And um, as always, balcony, fend for yourselves. Uh, we have a great thing in knowing who God is. I want to invite the worship team up. I want to pray for us. Um, as they come up, what I would love to do is um, I want to pray for us as a church, and then I'm going to go sit down, and I want to encourage uh, the band to be playing softly behind me without singing yet, with no words. And as they're playing, spend that time as a reflective moment between you and your relationship with Jesus. Once they start singing about 30 seconds in or so, that's your cue. Come forward as, as God leads you to take communion. Go back to your seat, and we are just gonna end our service worshiping this God who's created everything and who draws us to himself. Let me pray. Oh God, forgive me for saying your name and not even realize what I'm saying. product of the culture I live in has just allowed me to skip right over every name you've revealed about yourself and devalue the meaning unintentionally. But God, as I'm learning more about you and I'm seeing who you are, I pray that you would uh, awaken in me and all of us the amazingness of who you are. I pray that being in awe of you, of you being creator and you being deity, leading Jesus to the earth for the redemption of our sins. I pray that it's those facts that lead us to the table. And we honor and we worship you. Love you, Jesus, so much. Spend a few moments praying for yourselves as the band plays.